Welcome back to The Popular Parallax, a sci-fi limited series podcast hosted by our guest for this series, Milo Davinas, and me, Jerrica Lala. Be sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Popular Parallax. And now... Join us on a nine-episode escapade through the epidemic-ridden hellscape of The Last of Us. We're back with episode seven of The Last of Us, entitled Left Behind. Yes, that is the first time I've mentioned a title because I'm usually not paying attention to the titles whatsoever, but for some (laughs) reason I noticed this one. How are you doing, Milo? How's it going? I'm just dandy, Jerrica, much less mucusy than last week. We were, we're yes. through the rain, as, as it is, and <laughs> I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? Great. I'm doing great. Everything is fine. I am not work exhausted. And this is not the tip of the iceberg for March. Wait, it's the last day of February. <laughs> Everything's going exactly right. So this is episode seven. So we have two more episodes to go. Is that correct? That is correct. We yeah. are, what do they call it? The epipenultimate episode here. <laughs> oh, fancy with Latin. That well, is not. fancy. I'll tell you, I, and I, I don't, I should I don't know anything. Like I didn't read the game plot. I, I'm getting not a great feeling about how this is going to go, but um, we'll see. There's, there's always a little bit of a storm on the horizon feel, even when the current storm is happening to us. So, you know, that's that's great. This week, we definitely, um, well, I was going to say we had a, a reprieve from the main horrors, but we still had a whole backstory horror to dive into to keep yes. us really, really excited. So let's let's begin where... Essentially, we left off last week where Joel has a big old hole in his stomach. Yeah. And, and he. Soul. No, I'm soul. Yes. Don't yeah. we all really? At this it's, point? Yeah, it's symbolic. <laughs> Ellie has managed to get him to an abandoned house in the suburbs of what apparently is somewhere in Colorado. I was reading that. And she's got him lying on a mattress in the middle of a cold room. And I it's think it's not- the garage. Yeah, it might be the garage. Because they've got the horse in there, too, or nearby in an adjoining thing. But to me, it seemed like you walk down to the basement space, but it goes to outside. Like, it's like a garage, you know, like, three-story cabin or something. I don't know how she got him in there. Like, that must have been not cute. Because I'm guessing she dragged him. Yeah. Some distance. If he was falling off the horse when we last saw them in the previous episode, I'm guessing his walking capabilities are not great. And it must have been some sort of like stumble-drag combination to get him essentially into the shelter as deep as she could get and then flop him down on the floor and work from there. I was expecting Joel to be just straight up dead this episode, honestly, because my impression was that whatever jabbed him in the gut went like deep inside yeah but i guess i think it kind of did didn't go through him but it went in i think what he got lucky with is i don't think it's really hit any organs Mm. or he probably would be done yeah but what the problem is is she can't get it to stop bleeding it just won't stop bleeding because it's an open wound where it doesn't matter how healthy you are 
it's going to take forever to stop. And once, if it does start to heal, it's going to look like a crater in your gut, but that would take months and you'd have to be holding on to it the whole time. Yeah. So she's in a pickle and also she's bare, she's kept it as clean as she can, but it's kind of gross. Like she's got like a damp towel that she's sort of patting it with and then she's holding it down. He's not in a good way. So she's, she's kind of fucked. Yeah. And Joel clearly, once again, is is thinking, it's time that Ellie leaves me behind. He insists, essentially. <laughs> he shoves her. He's like, oh, yeah. Uh, the holes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Pedro, they're not killing you off. Don't even think about it. You're too beautiful. You can't. Well, they, they know they can't. I mean, I agree with you. I think if it was some other show, maybe they'd be like, let's get wild here. Mm-hmm. And kill off the main character. But one, I think they want another season. Mm-hmm. And two, they're like, this guy is like the moment, and we cannot cut him. It would be it would be such a blow to the show. Yeah. This isn't one of those situations where, you know, you can just dispose of Sean Bean or something like that. This yeah. is Pedro Pascal, and he's the internet's darling right now. And I would be very sad to lose him. I still don't trust it, but... Yeah, at yeah. this point, I think we're at least getting him to the end of this season. And surely by the end of this sequence here, even though he's saying, Ellie, get out of there, like, leave me be, I'm dying. I started to have a little hope because I just, again, expected him to be flat out dead right when we started. And so the fact that he still was drawing breath yeah. made me very pleased. And so, still being kind of a stubborn old exactly mule. lovable, lovable Joel temperament there. Yeah. So Ellie begins to leave, and as she opens the door, she is reminded of a different time when she lost someone important to her. And we take a big old yay plunge back in time to Ellie's days at the Fedra training school. Fedra's boarding school for girls who are going to be military fascists. Sorry, this was a little stupid to me, but because I'm just like, Okay. Like, why would it be a girl's school? That was weird to me. And like, I get you want to keep boys and girls separate to sleep and stuff. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, just mix them all, all these teens and be having sex all the time. But to actually, they don't have the funding to train boys and girls separately with all of their weird shit that they're putting them through. Like, no, you run and now you do this. I was just like, what? But yeah. They just wanted to show girl-on-girl bullying. That was I felt like that was the whole aim of the first part of this. <laughs> They're like, who can relate to high school? Am I right? I was like, what is this? <laughs> Remember when you were training to run in circles in the zombie apocalypse? Here, here yeah. it is again. Yeah, I assumed that they were just had so few people that they had like one girl's class and one boy, boy's class and there were like 12 surviving children in the whole of Boston. Yeah, I guess that could That's be. That's how it was going. But yeah, we we're the point is we're getting a um a bullying scene between Ellie and Bethany, and we're we're getting the setup. It's always Bethany. It's always a Bethany. Don't name your child Bethany. She's gonna be a real bitch. <laughs> yes. So we've got the bullying situation going on between Bethany and Ellie, and the real the whole point of this is to set up Ellie's sort of record here in Fedra School, which is that she has been causing trouble where she's been at the center of trouble many times before. Bethany also drops the line that your friend, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, isn't here to protect you this time. 
And, you know, Ellie throws a punch. But she's also been put in solitary confinement for bad behavior in the past. And now the hole, as it's called. You've always got to call it the hole because that's the most ominous place you can put someone. Ellie gets called in. Captain Kwong, who is apparently the leader or in charge of the training of the young people, he sits her down and he tells her, either you can continue to be a pain in the ass and cause trouble and you'll wind up a subordinate of someone like Bethany, or you can shut up, focus, do what you're told and rise to the top because you're smart. You're you're good at whatever it is that Fedra is selecting for, probably brutality and that kind of thing. So shut up, Ellie, and put your head down and you'll become a super fascist military person just like me. Yeah. And that's yeah. all you can really aspire to in this horrible post-apocalyptic. Yeah. <laughs> all you can aspire to in this post-apocalyptic nightmare. He doesn't seem like a terrible man. Like he does say, you know, he says, you know, people can say whatever we want, but we're the only thing basically standing between humanity and chaos. And I mean, there it is complicated because he has a point, like you said, with some of these other quarantine zones. Yes, Phaedra is terrible, but they're also keeping the, the zombies, you know, clear of people and stuff like that. But they're also hanging people in the streets. So it's a very very gray situation because they're really all that there is and i don't know like it did make me it, not that i because the thing is when we saw the flip side with like kathleen that wasn't better do you know what i mean so it's just yeah. like what are these freedom fighters actually gonna do when they do overturn phaedra because it seemed to me like it was the same only worse because they couldn't even fend off the zombies yeah, you do see this in a lot of apocalyptic fiction where it's sort of presented as a binary between either like military dictatorship that is the descendant of the previous government but has gone full like violent overlord yeah. or you've got the freedom fighters who sort of overthrow this but then wind up adopting a lot of the oppressive acts of the previous regime. And you don't get to see a lot of third options, which I think is a shame. Now, The Last of Us is not unique in any way in presenting it like this. And I am hoping that if we get to go back to something like Jackson, Wyoming. Exactly. That was uh, sort of our third option, right? Well, it's just we're not we don't get to see that often. And I think Captain Kwong's viewpoint is a very common viewpoint, probably for people who do survive in these terrible places, which is. I mean, it, it's horrible, but at least it's something. And they do have the guns and they are the ones keeping the zombies out. But then it's sort of like it's presented without ever considering a third option where we have protection and safety, but we also don't have violent war crimes. But that's so, just the cops. That's just the cops now, right? Yeah, just, yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's, it's a little worse, but. Exactly. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that situation. And like Ellie, this is all she's ever known, right? This is yeah. the only world she has. And she's clearly grown up safer, probably, than some of the horror stories that she's heard. And even Riley says later in the episode, like Riley wasn't born in the QC. She's from outside. She lost her whole family. And so she's probably heard lots of stories like that. And at this time, even though she's chafing against the system and her education and all of the 
nastiness going on inside, she is probably, at least in part, thinking, well, it might suck, but it certainly sucks less than being eaten alive by mushroom monsters or being stabbed by raiders or whatever it is. So she's got a real thing to consider here in this section. And we're getting that reminder. That's why she's maybe not running off into the night in the same way that Riley does when we eventually meet Riley. We get the sequence with Captain Kwong and then we're in Ellie's dorm at night. She's reading an issue of that um, comic book that she was reading with poor long lost was it Sam? Was Sam? Yeah. Little, oh, little, guy, little deaf guy. Yeah. The, what is little it called? called like part yeah. of my pun or what? <laughs> I don't know what those Oh, no, she's reading the comic book, the Endure and Survive comic book. Yes, yes. Yeah, Savage Starlight or something, I think it's called. It's not a real world comic, as far as I know. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. But she's reading that comic, and she is exactly reading the first edition of the um, That's So Punny or the Pardon My Pun, or it's Can't Believe It's Not Punner. I don't know. Everyone's screaming at us what the title is right now. <laughs> How could you forget the pun book? <laughs> yeah. Let me so, find it. I've got it somewhere here. Well, she's reading this thing in bed, and then she goes, they say, lights out, lights out. So she goes to sleep, and you see it's just mm-hmm. after one in the morning, and somebody mm-hmm. comes into the window and yes. puts their hand over her face, scaring the living daylights out of her, as it should. It's a terrible idea. Riley's lucky she didn't get stabbed to death right there because Ellie has that knife and she brandishes it. She goes like, eh, it's me. And I'm just like, Riley, that was, I can see why you're not at the top of the class. but <laughs> Yeah, it's a freaky thing to do when you're not surviving uh, exactly. an apocalypse um, when this is happening. I found the title of the book. It's called No Pun Intended. Oh, my gosh. Which is not as punny <laughs> as you would think it is. But there it is. It's not no as pun good intended. as She's reading volume pun. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so she she's surprised by Riley. And we've obviously come to understand at this point that Ellie has, you know, she's missing a friend both from what Bethany was threatening her with and then the empty bed. And Riley shows up and Ellie's pissed. She thought she was dead, essentially. And Ellie says, or Riley says, I'm not dead. I've gone and joined the Fireflies. So she drops that information quite quickly in the middle of the Fedra And what does she have to prove it? Is it a tattoo? I didn't catch what it, because she showed part of her side when Ellie said, no, you didn't. You're lying. And then she showed something. That was either like was a, a gun. oh, it was a gun. Okay, yeah, I didn't get what that gun? was. I it, that's what happens when you shoot a scene in total darkness. But uh, still, <laughs> we're enjoying the show. We could have used a little more lighting. We needed yeah. a little more lighting, perhaps. But yeah, it was it was a gun in in her pant pocket, I believe. Oh, okay, and okay. and she's like, look, I've I've got it. I've joined the Fireflies. You know, at least like bullshit that can't be a thing. But but Riley gives us the reasoning behind it. She's she's witnessed. She's come to realize that Fedra are fascist dickbags, I believe is the exact phrasing she uses. And she was approached by a woman named Marlene, whom we all remember from the first two episodes. Marlene is I head of the Fireflies. I thought that was the mom. I thought that was going to be her mom, but it's not. It's just some lady. Yeah, I thought that too. I, for some reason, remembered Marlene saying that it was her daughter whom Ellie had been friends with, but apparently I was wrong. 
And it's just, yeah, Marlene spotted her on the street, noticed that she was, you know, looking dejected or, or pissed off well, or whatever it was. she liked how she and was sneaking around. So she saw that and she thought, you'd make a good foot soldier in our, our rebellion. And apparently she was right because Riley was definitely down for that. She's leaving Fedra. She's going to join the Fireflies and she's come back to see Ellie. We don't know it yet at this point in the story, but it's going to be for one last romp. And yeah. so she invites Ellie out on the town. Greatest to night of your life. Go. Exactly. And I thought, you know, if you need an abandoned mall, Alberta is definitely the place to go <laughs> to film that. Because <laughs> as soon as I, I saw the abandoned mall setting, I was like, that could have been any number of places in that <laughs> province. Because they got a lot of malls. But before we get to the mall, first we have to sneak across the rooftops. And we eventually encounter a dead body just hanging out recently died by suicide and with a or, f- nearly full bottle of alcohol. Well, they said pills and, pills and those booze. You're not supposed to mix that, yeah. but he probably did it on purpose. And he and he's sitting there and so they snatched the booze away and then <laughs> falls right through the floor. She thought that was kind of funny in a macabre kind so of So did way. they. I was like, you little yeah. bitches. Like, holy shit. <laughs> they, they have a death wish. Both of them. Like, teens yeah. teens don't think they're ever going to die, even in an apocalyptic situation. And they're like, oh, damn. And I'm like, yeah, this, this seems about right. I should say, I mean, Riley is played by the baby sister from Euphoria. Yes, so Storm Reed. Yeah, she's, she's booking only the high-class shows, the edgy shows here. And, you know, I really like her, but I found in the first half of the show, she had a little trouble keeping up with uh, old Bella. Yeah. On the, on the I think once they, got, once they got deeper in the, the material, I think was just, you know, not more authentic. What's the word? They were, they were sort of, you know, getting to a point in the first third of mm. the story. And yeah, I think maybe, you know, the performances got a lot more solid once they were getting into the, like, what was essentially the extended date scene. And there was more emotion to play off of and more, I guess, immediate real world scenarios happening as opposed to we're like racing through the night, escaping zombies and escaping military occupations and stuff. What's interesting, I'm not sure how it falls out because Bella Rams, I mean, I even put at one point, I'm like, are they taping her? She just looks like a little kid. She's, but I'm not sure she's not older than that other girl. They're the same age. I looked the same age. Okay. Because I just felt like the whole time, the whole sequence, no matter what is happening, Ramsey is too legit to quit. Like she has a death grasp on that character. And our other gal was sort of spent the first part trying to find the character. Right. She wasn't quite landed in it. And then she did land in it. And it did get, it got more authentic and stuff like that. But she just was floating around for a bit at first. That's, sorry, that's the acting coach in me coming out. Like, I don't want to sound too snotty. But that's, I did notice at first they weren't quite in sync with the mm. level of performance. And then it leveled out. It got better. You gotta wonder, I mean, Storm Reed is coming in for one one episode, and perhaps maybe it was just that sort of Bella Ramsey had been in the character for a while oh, at that point. And no doubt. It always but depends could, on who's acting. Yeah. You gotta make choices. 
You've got to, you know what I mean? Right. When you're get, you've just got to be like, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to go with it. And she just was a little tentative at first right. about what kind of teenage girl she was going to be and what, you know, a little too many winks and nudges. And that, But that's the director as well can put a stop to right. that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad she did find it because I, I did, oh, yeah. I did really enjoy their chemistry when, when they were together. And yeah, Bella is such a powerhouse in this character. And I do enjoy Storm Reed's performance. Now, I have a lot of problems with euphoria of the show but that's a different podcast but <laughs> storm reed is i couldn't stop watching it i couldn't stop watching it i was like these kids are yeah, killing yeah. me I mean, I, is this what the kids are doing oh my god these realistic teenage experiences that <laughs> we're seeing on a television screen well it's realistic yeah. but it's so all I, I it's would... all boiled down to one goo instead of like spread out over yeah. humanity and you're just like ah but you know that's another show this is this show but this in this some ways this <laughs> they have equally intense things happening to them they're not heroin exactly. addicts but they're they're in trouble they're in some trouble and and I was I was very happy to see Storm Reed cast here. And once we get into the mall, we start to see the meat of this episode that I was very, very happy with. And so, yeah, we, we get through the building. We've got the booze in hand. We're having sips. We are told by Riley that Fedra has opened up a new block of apartments in Boston for new arrivals to the QZ. And she also points out that the abandoned mall is on the same power grid but she doesn't quite say it at first she's you know all coy about it i've got a surprise to show you she takes ellie down into this building she has the power flicked on or no they get into the building she tells her to walk through a door and then make a left and then stand in the dark and tell her when she gets to a certain point ellie does so riley flicks on the lights and behold the finest Stuck in 2003 mall you ever did see comes to life. Still crumbling. And this will be the center. But all the beautiful lights and everything that they don't get to see. The elevators going, uh, the the escalators going up and down. So for mm -hmm. somebody like Ellie who's just born into this, this is like a miracle. Yeah. And we've hit this note a couple times, but I still find it really charming that Ellie doesn't know or has never had any experience with very common things. And when she's on the escalator and she's goofing off and like electric stairs, I loved that. I mean, again, she's already been like, ooh, coffee, ooh, airplane. What are those in previous episodes? <laughs> yeah. But I can't get enough. I, I like it. It's a little cheesy, but it also makes sense. She, she doesn't know what these things are, yeah. or she's only heard of them in the in the picture books. She so, runs up and down the escalator until she's ready to faint. Like, she's just running up, she's running down, she's running up, she's running down, she's running. <laughs> she's like, I'm going backwards, I'm going forwards. And she puts both of her legs up on the on the handle. She's like, <laughs> oh, my legs are going down, I'm going up. Like, she's just, <laughs> she's a little monkey. She's having a good time on there. And, and Riley has claimed that she'll show Ellie the four wonders of the mall and the escalator quickly becomes the fifth wonder. And I thought that was cute. I What I really liked about this episode, it's it's our second of the gay ones. Yes. And I find this one a lot more rooted in realistic queer experiences versus the previous one. Now we're still in the apocalypse. So we're, you know, using realistic with plenty of quotation marks around it. But this this felt more authentically teen. This felt more authentically like 
queer discovery versus the incel in the basement with all the guns. Um, well, and it's nice that she and, it wasn't just a prefabricated girlfriend that came out of a hole in the ground. That was kind of a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this this feels like what might happen to two queer teenage girls in a post-apocalyptic setting. This idea of sneaking off to the mall, it has its, its modern parallels, but it also does in the zombie-specific context feel really special. And, you know, they're being a little bad, but they're also, you know, just trying to find some joy in this horrible world. And I just found it to be so much more endearing and and authentic to what I would want from a queer zombie story. Now, it still ends the way it ends, and yes. that still, once again, fits into what we've been talking about for several episodes about queer people dying, and especially our only, like, Black queer character here, again, isn't getting out happily, although at least they save her the gruesome end. But still, she's not getting out of it. So... I, I, that is still a little disappointing. And again, I'm not trying to say that I want all of the people with marginalized identities to 100% survive the zombie story. Yeah. And Maybe only... one or two would be good. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's just, you know, again, and um, I'm going to sound like a broken record, and I'll just say it very quickly. It would be nice to see a story told about queer people, so multiple queer stories within a zombie story, so that some of them, yes, would die, as is expected with zombies, but some could live. And have fruitful futures nonetheless. But that, for me, in this episode is more of a small quibble because I was still really happy. So I I just felt that this was a lot more what I would want to see from a queer storyline in a zombie fiction piece. And it's not that I want every single marginalized identity character to survive and only have cis-het white men die, but... I would like a story more full <laughs> with more queer people, more black people, more indigenous characters, all of the intersections of the identities so that some might die and some might have yeah. long, fulfilling lives, even in this world that is so grim. Agreed. One of the, the big wonders is this arcade. Yes. Now, Milo, I don't know how the old guys are that are creating this, but I feel a little pandered too. We've got, <laughs> we've got, Ellie with the Walkman, the fucking Walkman, the mm-hmm. arcade in the mall. And I'm just like, no teenager watching this show knows what the fuck any of this is. And I feel like the writer's are like, mm-mm, remember this? This is what high school really is, you guys. And I'm like, no way to <laughs> exclude everybody under 30. But okay, sure, why not? Why not? And hey, when she's listening to her Walkman, have her listening to Pearl Jam, because what 14-year-old in 2003 wouldn't be listening to that? Like, I mean, I was like, that's what I was listening to when I was 14. I am double the age of this person. They want you to feel included, Jerrica. That's what they want. I suppose. I think they want to feel included. They're just like, yeah, this is this is what really it is. And it's like, at some point, this isn't going to work. But I enjoyed it as it is for now. Well, the video game, from what I understand, the the apocalypse starts in 2013, and the contemporary action happens in 2033. And obviously, they they moved that back because they wanted the contemporary action to happen in 2023, so we could all feel closer to it, and also there could be that parallel with the pandemic. But I do wonder if a part of it, you know, in doing so means things start in 2003, means the writers could 
pull some of those late 90s, early Y2K moments. Yeah. But even then, it almost feels too late. When I think of, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, it's a little off, but we'll we'll just just let it ride. But I just felt it was very spoon-feedy. Like, not quite like watching Stranger Things, where I almost puke because it's so that. (laughs) <laughs> but it's just nudging a little that way because I'm like these two girls would okay um, but they it's a very sort of meta moment as well where they're playing this classic video game inside a show that's about a classic video game like they, they're really going there with this <laughs> yeah they wanted to give us some sparkly lights and, and, and some fun times and make some jokes about the like uselessness of money because of course we get the the machine pride open yes, with all yes. the coins we also got the moment just before this where they were well first they were at the carousel and then they were at the um the photo booth where riley happens to pull out a five dollar bill or a dollar bill whatever it was i can't tell american money apart and it was sort of you know in the moment, I was like, where where would she have gotten that? But I guess money must be floating around. And then we see the arcade scene later where we've got this whole machine full of money. And yeah. Riley's been in this mall a couple times. So she's scoped it out. She's she's checked, assume, assumedly for clickers and, and stalkers and all the other kinds of zombies. And she's also familiarized herself because she knows she's going to do this special date. For yeah. her and Ellie. Yeah, and they got on the on the carousel moment too and had a little go around. And I thought that was all really excellent. And again, very like it felt almost like a contemporary date setting, but in this apocalyptic place. You know, yeah. I don't I know. I think that was the people. idea. I mean, I have to say that, you know, they get on this mirror around, it's very, you know, it's very cute, it's very romantic. And, you know, of course the power in this place isn't stable. So at mm-hmm. some point it just breaks down. As soon as that happened, I was never stable again through my the whole show. I was nervous <laughs> because it's you know they want that. Like as soon as that fucking goat merry-go-round stops, you're like, oh my god, oh god, what is mm-hmm. happening? And I stayed yeah. like that for the rest of the whole show. And then at the end of the show, I had a heart attack. No, just kidding. I, mean, I didn't. But I was yeah, very very tense for the rest of the episode because I had a feeling, you know, they weren't both going to make it. And I was nervous about, about what, and at some point, when do we get a glimpse of trouble that they, they are unaware of, but there's an, a shop near the, the merry-go-round, like a costume mm-hmm. Halloween, like a Halloween fun, that kind of, of a shop. And then you see the back wall, you see there's a, there's a thing in there. There's a, yeah, there's, it's one there's, of those. There's a guy. There's a guy in the wall. It's a guy kind of in casual there. friend. Yeah, that happens yeah. while while they're playing in in the arcade. And you're absolutely right. This entire sequence in the mall had me shitting my pants. Yeah. even when nothing was really happening. <laughs> there's not much creepier on this earth than an abandoned mall to begin with, and like. They teased us with that little moment. It's one of, so it was one of those zombies that is no longer mobile, but is has exploded and is now like the network, I guess, for summoning yeah, other zombies in the area. We saw a little bit, yeah, we saw a bit of it in the in the second episode, I think it was, where if you touch one of the mushrooms on the ground linked up to one of these expired cordyceps infected people it'll send a signal to the other more active ones in the area 
And so as soon as they're doing all the the noise making in the arcade, this this little friend of ours in the, the spooky shop gets activated and summons somebody in the in the area to come and get them. But we don't get that right away. So we know this is lingering in the already spooky abandoned mall. We know that the 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 zombies, the clickers, the the stalkers, they're all aware. So it's only a matter of time. And that ticking clock is something that I think made this episode so successful to me because I was just every time they like like even did a long shot where you could see some of the background I was like something's coming something's coming and then nothing would come yeah it was pretty intense what was killing me was they kept getting noisier and they're playing music and they're doing the merry-go-round and I'm like they're not gonna hear the fucking guy or many guys yep. coming in. Sorry to you make them all male gendered. That's just uh, it's just how I'm thinking of our friends. But they're not going to hear these. They're not guys. They're things. But they are not going to hear them. And I'm just like, oh fuck, they are going to be right on top of them. It, it really, it really sets it up. And I mean, part of me was thinking, oh well, this is really foolish. They should have known better. But they they've been drinking. They're young. They're out on the town. It's not that far fetched for them to abandon some of the. Um, safety protocols i'm sure they've been trained with like they're just just so happy to have this night and you know they've been boosting it up well so they're 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 reckless they really established too what kind of made me nervous right off the top pointedly that ellie was gonna do whatever this girl told her to do anything anything because she's so goo goo over this girl and i don't trust this girl I don't think she's as smart as mm-hmm. Ellie. I think she's a nice little girl, but she I don't trust her judgment. So that was bothering me the right. whole time too, because I'm just like, she's not going to be able to save her. She's not, you yeah. know, she's going to be fucking you know, like Firefly, Schmirefly. She is a little girl. They both are. Like, yeah. what, are they, what are they supposed to do? At least they've got the gun, I guess. But I wasn't that comforted by that. It, it's, it's a whole powder keg waiting for to go off and that's going to be you know we know what we know what's coming we know that ellie doesn't have her bite yet in in this episode we also know that riley's not with her and so even though we've got that information it it doesn't take away from any of the tension of what's happening here it's just like okay but when's it gonna happen just just please let it happen soon so i can know what's going on and they just keep building it up and even after the arcade we still get a whole fight and Ellie almost running off and ending the whole sequence there. So that just further adds to the time on it. The tension is high and we've got, you know, we've wrapped up our time at the carousel and at the arcade and Ellie's feeling like it's time for her to go home. But Riley says, oh, I've got one last thing I want to show you. And so she takes her to the food court and it turns out she's been camping in a nacho stand this whole time, and she presents Ellie with, no pun intended, volume two, the follow-up to the hilarious pun book she's been reading. And they have a little cute moment where they're, where they're reading the puns to each other. And that's when Ellie notices in this taco stand, there are a bunch of bombs. And earlier in the episode, when Riley first revealed that she was working for the Fireflies now, there was a little exchange about bombing and Fireflies bombing Fedra soldiers. And Riley claimed at the time that that was just propaganda, that Fedra had been making up to turn people against the idea of the Fireflies. 
But now Ellie sees the bombs. She knows that the bombing is real. And she also comes to understand that Riley's not just in the mall hanging out because she found it. And that's where she's been crashing. She's there on purpose. She's, she's stationed, stationed there. Yeah. Yeah. She's there because the Fireflies want her to be there. And she takes that to mean that what's happening now isn't a cute date or whatever friends hanging out it's an intentional recruitment attempt or that's what she accuses riley of trying to do mm. and riley says no 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 i'm that's not what's happening i'm actually about to be sent away to atlanta to the atlanta qz i tried to ask marlene if you could come with me but she said no you're not allowed to come so i was just trying to do this as a way of saying goodbye and it's very upsetting. And Ellie is quite distraught. And, you know, she storms off. She makes it back up to the power room where she where she just sort of halts and things. On second thought, actually, I should, I should go back there. And yeah. she hears a scream. Yes. A well, she, she's already given me a heart attack just hanging around in that hallway. And then as she yes. turns oh, back and turns back walking into the mall, you start hearing screaming. And I'm like, oh, here we fucking go. Here we go. Mm. But it's a joke yeah. toy. Ha ha. It's a little joke <laughs> toy. I'm just like, I swear to God, I'm going to kill everybody. But it's fine. <laughs> and they have a much more calm discussion mm-hmm. about, you know, is this really what you want to do? Well, yes. Well, you know, and they, they, it gets more peaceful. Exactly. And they even get a little dance in with some masks on they're in the creepiest fucking store that you could possibly do this all in i must say but like you know why not they're in the store with the thing they're in the store with the thing that's what makes it the creepiest store is the fucking thing it's a cute (laughs) halloween gag store and they both put on these stupid ask those big rubber masks you put over your whole head and they're dancing around (laughs) and it's pretty goofy the music that they're playing very loudly is scaring the hell out of me because I'm just like, mm-hmm. fucking great. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, I'm just like, this is bad. They have a little smooch and I'm like, oh, that's adorable. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. <laughs> I couldn't even really enjoy any of that. It was nice uh-huh. for them, I suppose. One last memory as we're all white knuckling it from the couch. Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, luckily I've already got the high blood pressure and I medicated for it. So I was partially able to survive this also you know queer tragedy again we knew it was coming so when those curtains ruffle and the the stalker the runner whatever it is jumps out it's like well here we go it was almost a relief at that point oh it was a it was like the band-aid coming off you're like thank fuck let's just get this over with and they they have a real nasty fight with this whoever this poor stunt guy is. And they're like, you got to fight two uh, young girls. And he was like, okay, here we fucking go. And those girls <laughs> get thrown all over the place and they beat them. And then what, you know, Riley sort of saves Ellie at one point, And then right near the end, when the guy's right on top of the, the uh, other gal, uh, Ellie comes in with a knife in the head. Boom. Yeah. But it is, uh, it's a real tussle. <laughs> For them, it's a nice, good, messy fight that was very realistic. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was an excellently choreographed fight and very, very tense. And even though I knew it was coming, I still thought like, 
maybe, 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 yeah. maybe. Like, you don't know, maybe we're getting a part two next week and someone's going to survive this or at least it's not going to go down the way you think. But of course, they finally dispatch the runner and we get that quiet moment and then we get the pan to the bite and they both got one. Yeah. And oh, it was heartbreaking. I was so, so upset. Again, even though I knew it was coming, it, it was just so, so sad. And because the whole thing had been played, at first I thought maybe, because I, as I've said before, I didn't watch the video game or I didn't play the video game, yeah. but I knew some broad strokes. And this was actually one of the plot points from the video game that I was aware of beforehand. And I, I just, I don't know. I thought maybe like this would have been like Ellie and Riley had been in a relationship the whole time. That wouldn't have changed too many things about this story, but because this was more of a Ellie, you know, hasn't had her feelings on display and she doesn't know if Riley shares them and Riley doesn't know either. And we had this extra buildup. Might have been a little more cliche, but it made it so much more. Um, it drew me in so much more because they were also going to reveal for the first time that they had feelings for each other. And this was their first kiss. And so it just poured on the tragedy here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it still would have been sad if they had been girlfriends all along and this had just been one final date. But, you know, it just added that extra twinge that was really, really heartbreaking. So they both, and I mean, at this point, Ellie has no idea that she's somehow immune. They're mm -hmm. both sure they're going to die. Like, they're both just, like, real bummed out because they're... And and uh, Riley says, well, we could we could take the easy way out mm -hmm. quick and paint so they could... One could shoot the other one and shoot themselves. Mm -hmm. She said, or we both sit here and we both go berserk. And then they both talk about like what's the third option but we know there's no third option <laughs> she wants yeah. to say she will fight it out until we're we're done and i'm just like honey like <laughs> you're both gonna you know we know the reality and I, they end it sort of with them both sort of huddled there together and we don't get to see how it ends up playing out but i worry that I mean, that's got to be the person Ellie was talking about where she says, I've shot and killed somebody before. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because as the night would wear on, she would start to go berserk and Ellie would stay the same for some reason. She yep. would know why and she would have to kill her. Yeah. And I, I'm conflicted on whether or not I appreciate this ending more than having maybe seeing that reality play out. Like... Again, I don't want to see queer people die. I don't want to see more young black people die on this. But yeah. there, there is lots and lots of dramatic potential for what that would have looked like. And so I do think ultimately it was the right choice. We can fill in the blanks. As well. I think so, too. I think it would have been too uh, macabre and grotesque to mm -hmm. actually go down that road. Like we, it's what you said. We know what happens. She said kind of what happens in not so many words when she said I've shot somebody before you know that she's not going to get sick and the other girl is so there's no other way around it and I think like acting it out would have been kind of insulting and weird and just too gross and disturbing yeah it was the right place to end it the only thing that I, I would have liked to see and I'm not sure if this is connected but unless I'm mistaken I think Ellie's in the clothing that she 
we first see her in, in the first episode. So that implies to me that at some point, not long after this, Marlene shows up and captures her. Absolutely. That would have been the only thing I would have wanted to see. But I guess, you know, we already have the information again. And we certainly wouldn't need to see Ellie shoot Riley in order to get that. But we know what, what's coming. Yeah. So we, we we get that final moment where they, where Riley says, I'm sorry. We have the tragic understanding of what's coming. And then we're right back to the house. Ellie's still got her hand on the door. And this memory has caused her to reevaluate leaving Joel behind. And so instead, she goes into the kitchen of the house. She rummages around for anything that she can find. I thought she was looking for, like, alcohol to, like, pour on the wound. No, I knew what she was looking for. I was like, this is going to get gritty right here. Well, that's the only solution. Right. Only solution is to stitch that thing up. That will help him start to not bleed out all day. Mm Mm-hmm. And give him a hope. I mean, it's going to be kind of ugly healing, but as long as it doesn't get a horrific infection, which you hope, maybe she found some booze or something she can pour onto it, but that's what's going to get him over the hump. Mm-hmm. And sure, you know, she comes back, she's got this thread, and he can see what she's about to do, and he doesn't stop her. He doesn't try to stop her. Maybe he's too weak. And she just starts stitching the fucker up. And he is he is uh, in some pain, but he I think he knows this is the only way. I do love a little surgery in the afternoon. Yeah. It really, it, you know, after all of the tragedy that we've just seen and the tension of the fight and all of that, and just the tension of being in that goddamn mall for so long, the, the needle going through rotting flesh was the cherry on top. <laughs> it wasn't rotting flesh, Philo. Come on. It was, it was just... gaping open, Jericho. No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> no, she was absolutely right. And as you see her, you know, she's going to stitch it up and her other hand is sort of on his, around his ribcage area. And you see his hand go over hers and he gives it a little squeeze. Mm-hmm. So finally, see, he's accepted her and all she had to do was save his life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So she's already board. saved his life, but this was different somehow. He's he's breaking down. She's literally and metaphorically sewing the wound closed. That's right. That's right. Him. I got it. We yeah. all got it. It, got it wasn't it. it wasn't really mysterious, but we got <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, a solid, solid episode for me. What probably my personal favorite at this point. Um I could have used maybe a more action off the very yeah, top yeah but for me that's more of a, a, a nitpick at this point i mean the the sort of slower build really got balanced out by the like from the two-thirds that we spent in the latter portion i'm i'm really happy with it and looks like joel is going to make it to at least one more episode damn right so that's some freaky nonsense um oh, don't rest on pedro you know what yeah. i mean don't do it <laughs> Don't Isn't do it. it. He's co- he's coming back for more. And like I said, I, I only know a few of the broad plot points from, from the video game. And I know what next week's is. And it's, no, it's going to be nasty. <laughs> That's going to be a doozy. But I mean, which episode, except the friggin' gay episode three, hasn't been a doozy? Like, That's realistically, the- they've all kind of been rough to get through. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's already been a several rough goes. I'm just thinking next week is going to be especially nasty. Oh great! So, 
Yeah, who know? Who knows? Maybe maybe they take a lighter approach. <laughs> yeah, right. They're gonna be like, just squeeze everybody's guts out. It's like, oh, the show's oh. exhausting. Yeah, but in a fun way that we love chatting about. Sure. On this beautiful I mean, podcast, do you think this is your favorite episode? I yeah, um, it's, it's definitely at the top, along with five, and. I feel like two sits really well with me as well. I've enjoyed almost every episode so far, even yeah, the ones yeah. that we've, you know, been critic more critical of. Just because you're critical of something doesn't mean you're not enjoying it at the end of the day. This one, yeah, it just, to me, it it had, I guess, a redemptive quality to it. Yeah. As we've already discussed ad nauseum, I'm, I'm not the wildest fan of episode three, although I did enjoy parts of it. And so just the fact to get two queer-centered episodes in a zombie show is already top drawer for me. And I do feel like this one made up for some of the the fumbles from episode three. And that's why it feels so great in my eyes. But also just the tension of that goddamn mall really worked for me. I was in. And I, I just really loved the pacing of this episode once we got to the, you know, central piece of it first bit again could have used a little bit more you know a little nip and tuck here and there. nip and tuck here and there but the the latter two-thirds really for me were excellent so but we'll see how nasty next week gets nasty usually being the the qualifier for a good episode yeah i can't oh yeah i can't wait to see how this turns out <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like this is going south fast. Like, I can just tell this is going to end in a shit slide, but it's fine. It's fine, Jerica. It's fine. It's I can fine. just tell the end of episode nine. I'm like, well, I'm glad I sat through all this. This is great. Where's the fucking Mandalorian? Turn it on right now. I'm not joking, bitch. Well, I'm waiting for the trailers for my second favorite HBO show, The Gilded Age, to come out. Because- oh my God. Ladies drinking tea. <laughs> After all the zombie mushrooms, I'm going to need Christine Baranski in an ornate hat. Cassie <laughs> comments. Left, right, and center. Okay. You know, I, I've got very diverse tastes here. And yeah. those are two poles. And I need the other to balance this out. I'm in a bad sandwich right now because I'm watching this. And I'm catching up on the rest of Attack on Titan. And <laughs> let me tell oh you, that fucking thing is like horror porn. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're it's you're like, not sleeping well at night, are you, Jericho? I'm just like, I mean, people are like, yes, it's a cartoon, but it's a disgusting cartoon, okay, people? Like you have never seen the level of horror pornography, and I'm not. There's, it's not porn, mm-hmm. but it's porn for people who like grotesque, horrible stuff. Like it is just like watch this, and you're like, oh. Man just got crushed to death and Ooh. his eyeballs came out. Like, I just, so it goes well with this. It pairs well. Yeah. <laughs> like a fine wine, you know? So, yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Extra delicious. We'll be having a wild time next week, I'm sure. Crying ourselves to sleep. It'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, Pedro, I swear to God, it's done a lot for you. This takes the cake. <laughs> he's like you're welcome everybody i'm like i don't know i'm not finding you so cute anymore 
This is getting serious. And also, I'm get him back on the show, please. I'm sorry. Like he said, uh-huh. last week he was sulking. This week he was dying. And I'm just like, can we just 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 get him out there? Yeah, we need we need more of that beautiful face on our yeah. screen. Bella Ramsey, she's holding she's holding it down. Oh yeah, she carried that. There. She carried mm-hmm. that thing. And the other girl was great and everything, but she carried it. No question about that. I just, I think my thing, it's, I'm not even sure where the beauty thing comes with Pedro. I think he's kind of a rough old guy. But the performance, that episode one made such an impression on me. Mm -hmm. It was shocking. It was just, it was shocking and it was real and it was just, and a lot of that was him. Because it was, it's a wild conjecture of a show and you've got to have people to sell it. But I find as they try to drift him away from the show a little more, it's harder to buy sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see what you mean. You know what I mean? Because he's like he's like the anchor of yeah. the show in a way. And it's like when that anchor starts to like drift out of the picture, you're like, what am I holding on to? And yeah. I think that was part of the problem for me in episode three. It wasn't just all the gay faux pas. Mm-hmm. It was just like who it was to me. And I mean, we talked about this. It was too early to just leave the lead characters behind for yeah. a whole episode. Yeah. And it was nothing against the guys. It was a good idea. But why it was so early, that I'm not sure about. Yeah. If this had been our first experience with Pedro, with Joel not being at the center of the narrative, and then we had something with Bill and Frank later on, then it might have worked a little bit better. Although there were still some story elements from Bill and Frank that, you know, weren't as... Yeah. Bill and Frank's excellent gay adventure. Exactly. They, they, yeah. There would have been some other things to change about that episode, but I, I see what you mean. So I'm, I'm hoping that we get Joel back at the heart next week. I'm, I'm terrified for him, but yeah. hopefully those those stitch, stitches hold up real well. That's right. Because <laughs> that's the only doctor he's going to be seeing. All right, Nyla. Well, that's given me a lot to think about for the next week. <laughs> well, try try to get some sleep, Jerrica. Get oh, your rest. Oh, for sure. I will. <laughs> I'll watch I'll watch something stupid before bed. I won't I won't watch any of these this Titan nonsense. <laughs> exactly. You rest well and then we'll be right back at it next week. <laughs> All right. All right. Well until then, thank you, Milo, for joining me once again. Well, thank you, Jerrica. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Popular Parallax Limited Series Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Popular Parallax. Episode produced by Anne Meehan, theme song by Ken Chamberlain. We'll see you next time. And remember, Daddy is a state of mind, you know what I'm saying? I'm your daddy. <laughs> <laughs>